This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. And welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. It's getting ever closer. The 22nd FIFA World Cup to be held in the winter of 2022 in Qatar. That's still all to come as this episode is another in our World Cup series. Now over the year... I've looked at every World Cup that England have participated in, speaking with players, supporters and journalists who were there. And this one, well, we're looking at the 20th instalment, one that was held in Brazil 2014. If you're new to the show, hello, welcome along. All those previous episodes are available at your podcast provider of choice or threelinespodcast.com should you want to listen to those and of course welcome back to all the usual listeners thank you as always now after going to japan in 2002 germany in 2006 south africa in 2010 brazil in 2014 was a tournament i didn't go to brazil was and and still is very high on my bucket list of countries to visit. But it'll have to wait. Back in June 2014, I personally was in the middle of moving house. My wife was six months pregnant, so it wasn't really something I could uh, justify. (laughs) I remember watching various games here and there, remembering where I was and the like, but having friends sending pictures of Rio, the Amazon, Christ the Redeemer. Yeah, it was very frustrating, I have to admit. Just a year earlier, in 2013, England had actually played a friendly in Brazil, a match that marked the reopening of the iconic Maracanã Stadium. A stadium that had gone under quite the redevelopment over the years. Some of you, I'm sure, will remember England drew the game 2-2. Now, Brazil had previously hosted the World Cup back in 1950, where they made it to the final, only to be beaten by neighbours Uruguay, in what was to be known as the tragedy of the Maracanã. South America itself had hosted the finals in 1930. That was when Uruguay held the first one. Chile in 1962 and Argentina in 1978. It was March of 2003 that FIFA announced that South America would once again host the competition. By doing this, it meant that it was the first time that Europe had not had the competition finals on a rotation, following South Africa four years before, in 2010. Now, both Brazil and Colombia put their names in the hat for it. Colombia, they would later withdraw, leaving Brazil announced as the hosts on the 30th of October, 2007. But how did England get there? Once again, it was a World Cup contested by 32 nations. So excluding Brazil as hosts, 207 teams had to be whittled down to the last 31. No longer were the holders allowed a free pass to the finals. So Spain would have to get there in just the same way as everyone else. With the opening ceremony and the tournament beginning on the 12th of June 2014, the first qualifier was played on the 15th of June 2011. This between Montserrat and Belize. And that final qualifier was played on the 20th of November 2013. It was a playoff match between Uruguay and Jordan. In the end, UEFA would provide 13 teams, Asia 4, Africa 5, CONCACAF 4 and South America 5 teams. 
No team made it from Oceana this time around. But it was a tournament where 23 of FIFA's top 24 ranked teams of that time would qualify for. From Europe came Belgium, Bosnia and Herzegovina, England, Germany, Italy, Netherlands, Russia, Spain and Switzerland. And it would take the playoffs for Croatia, France and Portugal to qualify. And Denmark, Ukraine and the Czech Republic were probably the biggest teams to miss out. Elsewhere from around the world, qualified nations included Australia, Iran, Japan and South Korea, those all from Asia. Africa provided Algeria, Cameroon, Ghana, Ivory Coast and Nigeria. From CONCACAF came Costa Rica, Honduras, Mexico and the United States of America. And alongside hosts Brazil, from South America came Argentina, Chile, Colombia, Ecuador and Uruguay. England were a seeded nation from Pot A. Interestingly, Norway and Greece, they were also seeded. The likes of France, Russia, Sweden and Denmark, well, they were in Pot 2. England would be drawn in Group H of UEFA's qualification, a six-nation group, once again alongside Ukraine, who they played in the 2010 qualification. Also in there were Montenegro, Poland, Moldova and San Marino. And we once again topped the group, playing ten matches, winning six and drawing four. We began with a 5-0 away win over Moldova in September 2012. Lampard with two, Defoe, Milner and Leighton Baines saw scoring. Baines saw that was to be his only England goal. Next was Ukraine at Wembley, where a Frank Lampard penalty with just three minutes left earned a point. Although you may remember Stephen Gerrard was then sent off a minute later. Another 5-0 win, this time at home to San Marino. Two goals from Wayne Rooney, two from Danny Welbeck and one from Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain secured the points there. That was before heading to Warsaw to face Poland. Those that went to that game myself included, will remember the rain from that day. So heavy that the pitch was waterlogged and the game was postponed 24 hours because the Polish didn't close the roof of the stadium. In the delayed game, England took the lead through Wayne Rooney, only for the Poles to equalise. March 2013 saw the return match against San Marino, which ended in an 8-0 whitewash quickly followed by Montenegro away, where once again Rooney opened the scoring, only for Montenegro to equalise and claim a point. Ukraine away in Kiev was the only time England didn't score, and the game there ended 0-0. Moldova were beaten 4-0 at home, Danny Welbeck getting two, Steven Gerrard and Ricky Lambert one each. And then there was another four goals, at home to Montenegro. Now for the tournament, 12 stadiums were used across the country for 64 matches. Five were renovated and seven were brand new builds. These stretched from Manaus in the north, deep in the Amazon, to Port Alegre in the south. Fortaleza, Natal, Recife, Salvador, Rio de Janeiro, Sao Paulo were all coastal with Curitiba, Belo Horizonte, Brasilia and Cuiba all inland, making up the remaining locations. It was a competition with a few firsts, mainly following the Frank Lampard disallowed goal against Germany four years earlier. Brazil was a tournament where FIFA introduced goal line technology. This came into use in a game between France and Honduras. Also that came into use was the vanishing spray that referees used for free kicks. And they also incorporated cooling breaks due to the intense heat in some of the Brazilian regions. The referee, at his wish, could signal a drinks break 
on the 30th minute of each half. So let's move on to how the TV stations here in England introduce the tournament. As always, they try and outdo each other with an intro that remains memorable. Although, in my opinion, as time has gone on, perhaps it's less so memorable these days. The BBC went with a track by Stevie Wonder called Another Star. It's actually taken from his excellent 1976 album entitled Songs in the Key of Life. An album that just oozes Brazilian. The full version on the album lasts about eight and a half minutes. But the BBC here could use just a minute's worth. There was quite a lot going on with the visuals to accompany the music. It featured an older man hand-painting some little figurines, footballs. And when the camera zoomed in on them, they had lifelike faces. There was Gerard, Neymar, Van Persie, amongst others. It also featured a little boy running through the favelas, those tightly packed Brazilian houses. If there is one thing you should do once you finish listening to this, go listen to Songs in the Key of Life. Fantastic album. Now over on the commercial channel, ITV, they went with Tiago Tom's Brazil, Brazil, a nice, chilled-out track that suited the graphics on screen. It was a man playing the acoustic guitar in amongst those favelas. There was football on the beach, Christ the Redeemer, there was old players, new players. It had all the stereotypes. Love it. And then on the music front... In all honesty, it started to go quiet now. No major efforts as there had been in the past. There was a sport relief track released here in the UK. Gary Lineker and Gary Barlow redoing an old Take That song. Greatest day. Nothing to get really excited about, to be honest, but it was for charity. Now, Rick Mayle was a comedy genius here in the UK, known mainly for his roles in The Young Ones, Blackadder and Bottom, to name just three. Now, he died shortly before the tournament started, but this was his 2010 effort that was released in his memory. It was called Noble England. And remember Shakira? Following her 2010 Waka Waka classic, she followed it up with La La La, which she performed at the closing ceremony. It just wasn't a patch on that South African anthem. This year's poster, as you'd expect for a South American country, was a colourful affair. It was a rough outline of the country of Brazil, shaped by two players' legs challenging for a football. Both legs had colourful detail. If you can imagine, in almost like a henna tattoo style. And within the outline of the country, within the outline of those legs, was the writing 2014 Copa do Mundo da FIFA Brasil. Fulico was the mascot of the 2014 World Cup. Fulico was a three-banded armadillo, a vulnerable species native to the country of Brazil. And the name came about as a blend of the words full, which is a take on football, and eco, the Brazilian or Portuguese for ecology. He looked a very cheery chappy wearing a white T-shirt with Brazil 2014 on the front. He had green shorts and yellow skin, and with its tough armadillo skin in blue that covered his back and the top of his head, they all combined to make the colours of Brazil's flag. 
So the tournament came around, and England were drawn in Group D alongside Italy, Uruguay, and Costa Rica. In charge was manager Roy Hodgson. He'd been appointed shortly before the 2012 European Championships in Poland and Ukraine. We exited that after losing to Italy on penalties in the quarterfinals. And on announcing his squad, he said, I believe this squad can win the World Cup. These were his chosen 23. Three goalkeepers, Joe Hart of Manchester City, Ben Foster of West Bromwich Albion, Fraser Forster of Celtic, Defenders, Glenn Johnson of Liverpool, Leighton Baines of Everton, Gary Cahill of Chelsea, Phil Jagielka, also of Everton. There was Chris Smalling and Phil Jones, both of Manchester United, and Luke Shaw, who at the time was with Southampton, and he was the youngest in the squad, aged just 18, and at the time, he only had two caps to his name. In midfield, there was Stephen Gerrard, captain from Liverpool. He was most capped at the time with 111 appearances to his name and also the oldest, aged 34. Jack Wilshere came from Arsenal. Frank Lampard was at Chelsea and he had 105 caps to his name. Jordan Henderson and Raheem Sterling from Liverpool. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was from Arsenal. James Milner of Manchester City. Adam Lallana of Southampton and Ross Barkley of Everton. And up front, Four forwards, Daniel Sturridge of Liverpool, Ricky Lambert of Southampton and a Manchester United pair of Wayne Rooney and Danny Welbeck. And on hearing the announcement of the squad and hearing he hadn't been selected, Ashley Cole would announce his retirement from international football. Now it's my pleasure to welcome back to the Three Lions podcast, Dean Cornish. Hello, Dean. Hello, Russell. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Yourself? Yes, yeah, very good. Yeah, looking forward to uh, this little chat about the World Cup. Always, always fun. Yeah, well, we're not going back too far. 2014, Brazil. Am I right in saying that you'd been to Brazil prior to the World Cup? I had, yeah. I'd, I'd actually been quite a few times in the previous four years. Right. Um, I started a job in 2010 for a book publishing company doing the international sales for them. And it just happened that Brazil was going through a massive boom um, at the time from sort of between, particularly between 2010 and 2013. I don't know if you remember, but it was classed as one of the BRIC countries as one of the countries that were, you know, that were really growing globally. And um, so, yeah, I ended up going out there because business was so good for us. I, I used to go out there about three times a year. It became a country that I I just loved. I mean, I loved everything about it. I didn't like, if I'm honest, the place where I spent most of my time, which was Sao Paulo, which right. is from a work perspective, because you know most of the business is based in Sao Paulo rather than anywhere nice like Rio or <laughs> anywhere like that. So, um, so yeah, but I'd, I'd been quite a number of times. So yeah, certainly when I knew the World Cup was there, I was always going to go. Well, to be honest, I would have gone to a World Cup. You know, if it was on the moon at the time, I wasn't <laughs> married, and it was, um, you know, it was, it was, it was one of the, just something that I always enjoyed doing. Obviously, following England, I've done it for for a number of years, but yeah, particularly a, a World Cup in Brazil, I was, um, I was very eager, and and luckily a couple of mates of mine from um, from Stamford, where I live, who weren't England members beforehand, they wanted to come along as well. They were in a sort of similar life position to me. We weren't married, and you know, a World Cup in Brazil is is the sort of um, you know, you think it's going to be a bit of a pinnacle of your, of your life, really. Yes. Um, so, yeah, there was, there was those two lads. And then also, uh, probably a lot of podcast listeners will know Matt Isle, yeah. who, I, who I'd known from various trips. And he met us um, on the way as well and stayed with us in, a, in a, um, a couple of the places where we stayed. So, so yeah, that's, that's how we came to deciding to, to plan our trip to Brazil. Getting there, obviously for England, we'd qualified top of the group as we uh, as we tended to did you just say right that's it i know i've been to brazil i'm i'm definitely going yeah it was i mean i i think qualification this time i mean okay you're right we we did win the group but it wasn't quite as simple as it as it had been in some previous 
qualification phases. I think we needed a win on the last game, didn't we, against Poland? And certainly on the way in qualifiers, we'd drawn away in Montenegro, we'd drawn yeah. away in Poland. And it wasn't wasn't quite as simple as it as it often has been in the last sort of fifteen or so years. But yeah, luckily we we did qualify. But just actually on those qualifiers, I, one of the one of the ones I really remember was Poland away, where it rained all day. Yeah, and um, it got postponed. The game got postponed because they didn't close the blooming roof, and uh, I couldn't stay the following day, so I ended up missing the game. And I've, the only memorabilia I've got of that game is a, a sort of paper mache bit of ticket that was in my pocket. I mean, it was and my, also my passport. Literally, never it was never the same again because I had my passport on me the whole day, and it got so wet. That every trip I did after that, I remember the passport controller looking at it as if to say, like, well, you know, what's this? <laughs> particularly actually getting into Russia in 2018. I remember them, I remember really struggling to get in because they, they just didn't understand what was wrong with this passport. All because um, they didn't close the roof. All because they didn't close the roof. But yeah. But yes, no, generally we we always plan to go. It was just initially it was a case of deciding what games we'd go to, and we waited for the draw to happen. And what we decided to do was to do the second two group games and the first knockout game, the round 16. Yeah. And I, I can't, from a from a work perspective or a money perspective, couldn't do the whole the whole tournament. So we decided to do the second two group games. And then, as I said, the, the first knockout game, obviously, should we get there, which obviously I'm sure we'll come on to. <laughs> and also because the first game was in Manaus, which was obviously a lot more difficult to get to than any any other game. Even though, to be honest, I would have fancied going to Manaus because I've never been there and I've never been to, you know, anywhere quite as remote, I guess, for a football game. So I really did fancy that, but I, it just didn't work out. And um, so we decided to do the second two games, which annoyingly, you know, the second game, the, the Uruguay game, was in Sao Paulo. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier on, I've been to Sao Paulo loads of times in the preceding four years don't really like the place you know it's it's very very busy it's just a huge place there's lots of crime I mean even though I've never had a problem there myself is there is a lot of crime the traffic's terrible you know it's not the sort of Brazil that you that you sort of dream of you know it's not the Caipirinha sitting on a you know a nice beach you know it's it's not that Brazil it's the economic capital of of Brazil and um, you know lots of skyscrapers and what whilst there are impressive things to see um, and, you know, apparently it's the best food in Brazil and, you know, it's the most cosmopolitan as well. It, it wasn't somewhere I fancied going, but, you know, it, it because it was the middle game, it was it was a city that obviously I sort of had to go to. So, yes, yeah, so we planned to do that game, then obviously travelled up to Belo Horizonte and then in between the two games and after the Belo Horizonte game as well, we spent um, some time in Rio because I think ah. you know, if you're going to Brazil for a holiday, you want to you want to spend some time in Rio. That's that's the place to be. Yeah, no, it's it's certainly a place that I, I want to to go to. I never got to go in 2014, but yeah, as you say, Rio has got that aura about it, be it yeah. the, the football, the carnival, the, uh, the all the things that go with it, the, the samba music. Um, yeah. So did you originally sort of base yourself in sort of Sao Paulo for that game? Or was there a lot yeah. of travelling around? Well, we, we flew, we, we managed to get a direct flight um, overnight into Sao Paulo, landing the morning before the Uruguay game. So we landed and we, we stayed in um, a street called Rua Augusta, which is where I'd stayed a few times before. It was near Paulista Avenue, which isn't downtown, but it's, it's, it's central. Yeah. But it's it's probably the, the safer part of the of the centre of Sao Paulo. Like downtown is is known as being pretty dodgy to be honest and that's where the fan fest was so we did go downtown but yeah we stayed in paulista avenue and actually that was that was a good call actually because most england fans tended to to be around that area you know what it's like when you go on an england trip you want to find where england fans are but sometimes you go to these massive cities and it's it's hard actually finding where anyone is in sao paulo that was my worry i thought you know are people going to be dotted around the whole city because it's so vast yeah but luckily enough near paulista avenue there's an irish bar Oh, um, there you, you go. Know, yeah, and another bar that's that's sort of quite well known as being a sports bar, just a bit further down on a, a street called Rua Itu. So we went there drinking the day before the game, and there was quite a lot of England fans around and a bit of atmosphere, which which was which was good. And then at night we went to an area called Villa Madalena, which I knew was being a sort of nightlife area, and that was packed full of England fans. It was it was a good atmosphere. 
but because we'd arrived early that morning and stupidly we'd gone straight out that morning rather than getting a bit of sleep by about seven or eight o'clock I think we had to go home from memory um, and obviously it was the next day it was match day and it wasn't a night match it was a I can't remember what time exactly the kickoff was but we knew we wanted to get up early and you know get to a pub and you know see some other fans before before traveling to the game so ticket wise did you you got them through the England supporters club but then you said your friends who you went with weren't members so was that a bit of a a struggle getting in together or um well yeah you're right I got mine through the English supporters club but they got their tickets I think um I mean illegally to be honest um through some people from the English supporters club who weren't going oh, okay. um, just just to be honest uh, it was before it, you know, it wasn't it wasn't ticket collection it wasn't ticket apps or anything like that these days yeah. so it was I think a couple of people who we who we knew who weren't going they got them the tickets I think to be honest so they they were in the England end it was, it was probably it was a tournament of, of the last sort of generation of no apps and actual physical <laughs> tickets, I guess. Uh, do you know what? I actually remember the day before the game, one of the things we did before going to the pub was we went to the ticket. It was actually a ticket collection point, but it wasn't like an FA collection point. Right. It was it was a sports hall in downtown Sao Paulo where there were – basically a load of machines like sort of bank machines where you put i think you put your credit card in that you'd obviously paid for the tickets with put your reference number and it then printed out the tickets there and uh, then so gotcha. um so yeah that's and i've never seen that since i mean obviously well since then was russia russia wasn't an app was it russia was um i think i'm a ticket yeah you're right yeah i think he's right well, maybe we i think maybe we picked them up in russia as well from uh, from similar machines but I distinctly remember being quite stressed about these machines, thinking, oh, God, I hope it doesn't, you know, not recognise my card or something like that. You know, I much prefer to have a ticket in your hand before yeah. before you travel somewhere. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I, I remember that. And I also remember the morning of the game, there was a soccer AM. The soccer AM was big at the time. Um, there was a soccer AM, sort of party's the wrong word, but Tubes and Chris Kamara and a few others from, like, you know, Sky were in this bar. All right. Uh, or yeah, what's what's the other guys called? Um, Fenners and you know that that crowd. Basically, I don't. I'm not sure if it was Lovejoy at the time, but there was quite a few England fans in that bar. Um, but between that bar and this Irish bar, there was there was actually quite a bit of atmosphere on the morning of the game. And then we got the metro to the ground, and the ground was quite a way away. And I remember the the atmosphere on the metro was 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 good, and it was the first time I'd heard the. Um, Roy Hodgson, Roy Hodgson, Roy Hodgson, he's taking us to Rio, to Rio. <laughs> that song. And it was just, I remember it reverberating around the um, the metro sort of hall. You know, it's sort of quite, good, quite good acoustics when you're, um, you know, when you're down underground. And um, yeah, yeah it, was, it was great. So go um, on, take, take us to the game. Let's say Sao Paulo, Uruguay with the opponents. Suarez put them, put them in the lead quite yeah. early on, I think, didn't he? Yeah, well, it was interesting because Suarez obviously had been terrorising defenders in in England, you know, pr- for years previously, but he was injured, and um, it, I think he had a thigh issue. And um, originally, they didn't think he was going to play, and then you know maybe the day before that morning, it was like you know Suarez is playing, and I actually naively remember thinking actually that's a good thing because I don't reckon he's fit because he wasn't match fit because he hadn't played for ages, yeah. and I thought they're going to put him in because they think he's his their, their talisman. But it'll be rubbish, and we'll we'll win the game. And of course, he you know he wasn't rubbish, was he? He, no. he did he did exactly what we what he wanted to do, and he yeah he he put them one up. And at that point, obviously, we you know we're going out of the World Cup because we'd lost the first game to Italy two one. And then I mean I'm not sure how long it was to go, but obviously Glenn Johnson had the ball on the right hand side. It was at the England end, and I remember I weirdly actually been in the England and I had two Venezuelan lads stood next to me because I was, I was chatting to them a little bit <laughs> before and when that goal went in when Johnson squared it to Rooney it was bedlam I mean yeah. it was I, I thought I was in it it felt like a temporary stand and everyone just went mad because you know that goal at that stage kept us in the World Cup and these Venezuelans didn't know what hit them when suddenly, you know, everyone's <laughs> on the floor and, you know, afterwards like, they sort of picked themselves up. Like, you could tell, tell they're a bit sort of um, a bit sort of shocked at, you know, the, the celebrations. And of course, you know, it was brilliant. We won all Wayne Rooney's first World Cup goal. And, you know, we think our World Cup's got back on track now. And then obviously, alas, 
you know, Uruguay went up the other end, probably, I don't know, five, 10 minutes later. Yeah. Mistake from Gerard. It was a sort of flick on, well, a long ball. Gerard didn't get his head on it properly. And um, yeah, then Suarez is there to to put it away. And yeah, absolutely gutted. I, I, one of my abiding memories, actually, the visions of that tournament was when he scored that goal, all of the Uruguayan bench flew onto the pitch. You know, it was literally, right. like, you know, when you're sort of watching the game and you just see just everyone just flying onto the pitch. It was just heart-wrenching, you know, their celebrations. Um, and then for the for the remainder of the game, I don't think there was any football played at all. It was just Uruguayans basically, you know, writhing around on the floor, <sighs> wasting time. Wasting time, yeah. Do, doing what they're very good at, to be honest. And it was, it was, it was horrible because, um, you know, you lose your first two games. At that point, mathematically, we weren't out, but you know, realistically, it's going to be very difficult from there. So it was, um, it was a sad atmosphere walking back to the metro. And I remember some Corinthian fans trying to wind up the England fans as well, singing, basically shouting something about the Queen or no. F-U-C-K, the Queen, and this sort of thing. And you know, they, I think they thought that because we'd lost the game, I think they thought we were all going to, you know. We wanted to kick off, but no one, no one did. Everyone was just, you know, walk, walking back, abject. But I, I do remember them, them not being, um, you know, not being the nicest. Put it that way. Right. So I mean, what, what were you thinking then? Because obviously you'd, you'd watched obviously the the first game, the Italy game at home, gone out there, Uruguay, that had lost, and knowing that you'd got the last group game and a round of sixteen still to, uh, to watch. What, yeah. what was your mind? What were you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, just abject, really. I mean, I, I think at that point, you know, I so said we weren't mathematically out, so maybe I was being a bit overly positive, thinking, oh, well, you never know, you know, we could, could, um, you know, the math. If other results go our way and we beat Costa Rica in the last game, maybe, maybe we'll be all right. Um, and I think also, to be fair, I probably had the mindset then of, you know, let's go and enjoy it because the, the next day we were flying to Rio for, you know, for a few days in between the games because I you know I said I didn't want to stay in Sao Paulo for yeah. all my holiday. So I think we thought, well, you know, let's enjoy it. And um it was the following morning that we that we flew to Rio. We stayed in between the Copacabana and, and Ipanema beaches. Lovely. Which was which was fantastic. Obviously it was winter, but the weather was was decent enough that you could still you could still enjoy yourself. You know, it was still it was still warm enough. And yeah, obviously the, the great thing as well about, you know, being at a World Cup is there's loads of football to watch on the telly. So, you know, we we were, there were all these beach bars had, you know, they all, as well as the big fan zone at the Copacabana, which at times was difficult to get in, to be honest. Every, every little sort of kiosky sort of beach bar um, would have a small telly or, you know, a, a telly where you could watch the game. So, yeah. you know, from 1pm every day, the games would kick off and, you know, you could sit there watching <laughs> watching the games which was which was great so even though you know it looked like England were on their way out we enjoyed ourselves and I always remember in in Rio that the great thing was you were never you were never far away from a beer because if you if you were drinking cans there were so many sort of street kids for want of a better word who were who were carrying cans around and selling oh, really them. yeah just literally so you'd finish a drink put it in the bin and there'd, there'd be a little lad there with a you know a big bucket full of ice and loads of cans in it selling you them for you know, I think they, their prices kept on going up as the week went on, but it was still only about five free ice, which is about, I don't know, quid 50 or something like that for a can, which we were happy to pay. More, yeah, too right. Um, so, yeah, it was it was, it was was great in, in Rio. And, you know, at night we were going out to this area called Lapa. I remember seeing Chris Kamara in Lapa and and just generally there were lots of lots of fans around, lots of Argentinians who were all sort of sleeping around the Copacabana. And, you know, it was just a, it was just a good World Cup atmosphere. You know, we we really enjoyed it, and then I think the 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 other game in our group before we flew to Belo Horizonte was um, Italy against Uruguay, and um, obviously the result went didn't go our way. And I remember we we were out because of um, you know the, the the fact that I can't remember which team which team won. I guess it must have been it was Uruguay. It was, was it okay? Yeah, Uruguay won that one. So yeah, so Uruguay won, which meant that we were out, and and I remember. We were only about probably felt like we we're only about five days into the World Cup and we, we were already <laughs> out. And I remember Gary Lineker saying, "It's amazing that we we're out." And I think Germany had only played one game. Germany hadn't even played their second game, and we were already right? out of the tournament. 
Oh. It was, um, no, well, it was, it was gutting. Famously, that the Uruguay-Italy game was where Suarez had been so sort of vicious against us and throughout the season before, then decided to have a, a nibble on Chiellini. That's right. Of course it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. I remember that distinctly now. We we watched it in the in the fan fest in in the Copacabana, which was which was vast. I mean, it was on the on the beach. Brilliant, brilliant place to watch football. I mean, obviously more expensive than what what it would be in a normal bar. But I actually think you know some of the fan fests are great, and and the Copacabana one was was definitely um, definitely good fun. But so, yeah, that that day, you know, the fact that we um, the fact that that the result didn't go our way then and we were out was was pretty grim. The Copacabana. Am I I'm right in saying it's a beach? And yep. there's, so there's the fan fest on the beach, and uh, this might sound daft, but what happens when the tide comes in, or how far away yeah, is it, the? Uh... It, no, it's, it's it's a big enough beach that there's. Yeah, I mean, it was. It, it's it's a huge sweeping beach. Probably it's probably about a mile and a half long, but then the the sort of width, the, you know, the sandy part is 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 big enough that there there was there was no issue with the tide coming uh. in. I don't even think the tide. I mean, obviously, I guess they do get tides over there, but it's not like here. Like it, you might get a North Norfolk where the, you know, the tide goes out a mile and a half or something like that. It's it's probably a lot smaller. You know, the the variety of where the where the tide goes. Gotcha. But that that whole area, the Copacabana, that week was well the whole time during the World Cup was brilliant because not only was there the fan fest, but there was a there was a Budweiser zone as well that was on top of this hotel, which we didn't get into. I think it was Budweiser corporates only, but it was. You could see there were like DJs on the top of this hotel. There were, right. and and also you can imagine that anyone who was at the World Cup went to the Copacabana at some point. So you know, I remember seeing Tim Vickery, the Latin American football coach, oh, yeah. on, the, on on the Copacabana. I saw saw Adrian Childs. We saw Lineker, and, and you got where the Copacabana is. You got at one end, you had the fan vest, and at the other end, you had they built all these TV studios, like you know. Obviously, they like to have a good backdrop for the yeah. for, you know. So <clears throat> I think there were eight TV studios, and you could see which one was the BBC's one, but then you could see that one of them was the Danish television's one, and one of them was for you know I don't know French television or whatever. Yeah. So you sort of knock around that area, and you you know you you could bump into you know celebs. Really? You know, we, in fact, we saw we saw Phil Neville out running. <laughs> we saw Mark Saggers when we were buying ourselves our little uh, a breakfast. We had a chat with Mark Saggers. He was telling us, I don't know whether it's true or not, but he was telling us that Wayne Rooney was was smoking all day, every day in the in the England camp, which was which was in Rio. England were in a place called Urca, which is just a sort of suburb of of Rio. Right. And he, you know, it, it was just it was a great place to be because, you know, as I said, anyone anyone who was there for that World Cup at some time spent spent a day or two, or, you know, on that Copacabana, and and some of the food out there as well. We went to this restaurant called Marius's, which was a churrascaria. Right. And I'll never forget it. It was incredible food, and and it wasn't expensive. You know, it, it, well, Marius is probably more expensive than most Brazilian restaurants. But in terms of, you know, what we're used to paying for for restaurants back home, it was it was nothing like it was. Yeah, it was a great time. It was a great time. Wetting my appetite. I, I really do need to go at some stage. But yeah, on on to Bella Horizonte. We were already out. What was what was the mood just going to it? Because Costa Rica were the. Uh, the surprise package yeah they were it do you know what it's really weird that costa rica game because i will put it down as one of my favorite ever england games which makes wow. no sense at all. <laughs> Gen- genuinely it, it sounds weird now i'll come on to why but so we flew into Belo horizonte from from rio the night before the game and when we got to Belo, we were staying in this hostel and i booked a, a four-man room for the four of us yeah. and i remember I had the printout for a four-man room, got to the hostel. And obviously you can imagine there's loads of England fans in, you know, in reception, everyone's sort of clamouring for their rooms. And um, he led me to our room and it wasn't a four-man room. It was a 40-man room, to be honest. <laughs> pro- pro- probably about four metres wide, just with beds all the way along the side. And it and just like one sort of smaller alleyway between the beds. Yeah. And I remember thinking, this isn't what we booked, but, you know, there's there's no... There's no argument. There's they're, they're overbooked. They're, you can't get your four man room, that's for sure. But we went straight out, and that night Brazil were playing, okay. um, not in Belo. They were playing in um, Brasilia, but obviously they had the big screens up in the you know in the centre of town, and it was absolutely packed. You know, it, it is a national event when Brazil play football, particularly in a tournament, particularly in their home tournament as well. 
it was just incredible. Loads and loads of people out. I don't think we even managed to get to see the game because you couldn't couldn't get close to a telly. But but the atmosphere was brilliant. And afterwards, all the Brazilians who were out loved the English. Really? You know, it was they all wanted to come and talk to us. And you know, you can imagine there were some there were some nice looking Brazilian ladies. I, I had a partner at the time. In fact, I was getting married a few months later, so I, I wasn't interested. But a friend of mine, Jack, he seemed to. Um, he seemed to definitely take advantage and he didn't have to come back to the 40-man room, put it that way. <laughs> it was 30, 39 with, without him. Uh, luckily, not 41. That would have been a, that would have <laughs> awkward. Been a yeah. So, yeah, so we, we, I remember just having a great night out in Bello. And then the next day, we were all around this this square. I think actually it was called Savassi Square, maybe. Yeah. And then went to the game. But because it was such a nothing game and it was nil nil you'd expect it to be the flattest game you ever go to but actually the England support that day I was so proud of how everyone got behind the team and it was it was a sort of defiant um defiant atmosphere you know lots of England till I die you know singing even after the final whistle I don't think we left the ground for about 20 minutes because everyone was just singing England till I die and you know staying there and it it was brilliant and it, it's really weird. And, and the other brilliant thing as well was the players and Hodgson came over to the to the crowd or to our end after the game. And I think they've they've gone on record as saying they thought they were going to get booed and you know yeah. pelters from the crowd. But but actually everyone to a man was was arms above their head, you know, sort of singing England till I die, clapping them. And also because it was, you know, we knew that some of those players that were England stalwarts were on their way out. Gerard, Lampard, obviously Rooney wasn't on his way out at that point. But you know, a lot of the old guard were. And but it was just a great atmosphere, just you know, singing and saying, England till I die. And that's what we are, you know, as fans, that's what we that's what we are. And you know, even though we we were we'd gone to Belo Horizonte to watch a to watch a dead rubber nil nil, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, yeah. I I absolutely I really enjoyed it. And I'll 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 never forget that game. almost more than more than any other, seriously. Yeah, I must admit, I, I've I've got visions. I've seen it on the telly. You can see, like the the backs of the players walking towards the the banks of England fans, and they're applauding the England fans, and, and it's coming back at them. Um, yeah, it certainly came across on the uh, on the TV like that. Mm. that it, yeah. it came across well, and the, and the support was there. Obviously, we know how England travel. Yeah, but, yeah. It wasn't just the from the from the players. It wasn't just the cursory. You know, arms in the air. You know, the clap sort of just arms in the air and off, off they go. It was a proper come over and, and just stand there, and yeah. they, they almost looked at us like they were in awe. And I know that sounds a bit cheesy, but they just stood there, and it must have been for five minutes, five ten minutes. They just stood there, wow. and you know, we clapped them, and they clapped us. It was, yeah, it was it was very memorable. Top stuff. So, what happened then? Where did your your holiday go to there? Well, after that, we went back to, to Rio. And I don't know if actually if it was after that game or before. It was probably before, actually. But we also went to the um, Maracanã for Belgium against Russia. Ah. Um, we saw that game, which I've, I've looked up actually earlier on. It was Divock Origi scored the goal for Belgium, which I didn't... Oh, right. <laughs> so, yeah, Divock... And I remember thinking Lukaku was rubbish because Lukaku played and he, he didn't move at all. He was he was terrible. But we had a good day there, obviously, at the Maracanã. It's good to go to an iconic ground. But then after that, we we hung around Rio, and and again, I, I would say that it's it's one of the most gutted I've ever felt because there were a lot of England fans there at the time, a lot of Argentinian fans, Argentinian fans, you know, having us singing and dancing all the time, and as England fans, there were quite a number there, but you didn't feel like singing because it was like we're out, we're not we're not part of this anymore, you know, yeah. it's it's quite a strange feeling that you, you heard all these English voices, you knew there were England fans out there, but nobody was gathering together. Nobody was, you know, in the, in the mood for a, for a sing song really. And uh, I always think back and think if we'd got to that second round, because we would have played in the, in the American art, I think it would have been against Colombia. I think it would have been just incredible to, to have an England game in Rio, in the American art, in the world cup would have been, you know, bucket list, ticked a hundred times and and just I could just imagine the atmosphere on that on that Copacabana with with like with I don't know if there was five or six thousand England fans it would have been incredible but sadly um you know 
wasn't to be. Wasn't to and, be. Um, yeah, it's um, it'll, it'll live with me for a long time that we didn't that we didn't perform in that tournament actually. Um, but yeah, and it was a case of a few days later. You know, enjoy your holiday, enjoy a couple more nights out in Lapa, and uh, and head home. Sadly, back to the grindstone. Well, yeah. for the uh, for the last couple of minutes that we've got left, I know you're, you're going out to Qatar for the World Cup this year. Obviously, the the contrast between Brazil and Qatar will be quite vast. But yeah, your thoughts going towards there? Well, if you'd asked me before the summer, Russell, I would have said we're going to win it because you know, obviously, Nations League semi-finals, World Cup semi-finals, European final, you think this time, you know, we're going to go one better. Players with a bit more experience, you know, we've got got a good side and generally, although I had reservations about Southgate, you know, I I couldn't complain about him at the time. But obviously since the Nations League games in the summer, particularly Hungary at home and then obviously Italy away and just just generally, we've just been poor. We're just too defensive and I, I think We've got the players to attack, but we just don't do that. And I, and I like Southgate's pragmatism. Don't get me wrong. He's, you know, what he's done for, for England generally is fantastic. You know, getting us to World Cup semi-finals, getting us to a European final, of course, it is brilliant. And he's done that through being pragmatic, through being defensive and knowing his limitations. But I think he also needs to know when to let the hand break off, to, to use a bit of a cliche, and he, he doesn't know that. And, you know, you look at that Croatia game in the in the World Cup in Russia, you look at the Italy game, if we'd pushed on when we're ahead, then, you know, we could have, you know, we could have been in a World Cup final, we could have won the Euros. And I just think that tactically, I don't think Southgate's got it. So I don't think we're going to win it. At this stage, I'd take a quarterfinal exit to France, to be honest. I think that's probably what, what what's going to end up happening. As long as we get out of the group. But, you know, Iran, the USA, they're no mugs. No. And they might not be big names in, in football, but they're no mugs, definitely. Wales, obviously, will be up for it. And I think it will come down to that last game. I think we'll need a result against Wales and let's see whether we get it or not. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope we can go go one step further than we did in, in Brazil. Uh, Dean, yeah. thank you, as always, for, for joining us. I know you've joined us before on various other episodes. I know the Kazakhstan one. I think we've spoken before that. Uh, it's always, always good to chat and, and have your memories. Yeah, no problem, Russell. Anytime. Happy to do it. And uh, look forward to seeing lots of England fans out in Qatar in a few weeks' time. So surprisingly, Costa Rica finished top and went through with Uruguay. Italy went home, as did England, finishing bottom of the group. Despite this... Manager Roy Hodgson said he had no intentions of stepping down. Just like France in 2002 and Italy in 2010, the holders both going into the tournament, Spain, they exited at the group stage, finishing third behind the Netherlands and Chile. Algeria would make it through the group stage, finishing ahead of Russia and South Korea, but behind Belgium. They'd been knocked out in the next round by Germany, although they did take them to extra time. Also in the second round, Brazil overcame Chile on penalties and Colombia would beat Uruguay in another South American derby. Costa Rica continued their fine form, beating Greece on penalties. And Argentina, who had topped their group with three wins, they beat Switzerland thanks to an extra time goal from Di Maria. The quarterfinals saw Germany beat neighbours France by a goal to nil. Brazil beat their neighbours, Colombia. Argentina beat Belgium. And Costa Rica's run finally came to an end after being beaten by the Dutch on penalties. So on to the semi-finals. Hosts Brazil paired with Germany and three times losing finalist Netherlands against Argentina. That was a game that would be settled on penalties going Argentina's way after the game ended goalless. But the game of the tournament happened at the semi-final point. If you were to ask anyone, name one thing from the World Cup of 2014, chances are it will be the Brazil-Germany semi-final. Played in the Estadio Mineral in Belo Horizonte, both were former winners and indeed 2002 finalists, a game which Brazil won 2-0. 
it was expected to be an even match-up. Although, Brazil, they were without Neymar and Thiago Silva. Brazil were in their traditional yellow shirt and green shorts. Germany, in their away, red and black hooped shirts. Thomas Muller opened the scoring on 11 minutes. Then came four German goals in six minutes. From closer, two from Cruz and Kadira. It saw a half-time score of Germany 5, Brazil 0. Literally the whole world was in shock. The second half got even worse as Andre Schürrle added two more. That's a lovely little reverse ball. Schürrle! Andre Schürrle! It's seven! The merest of consolations came from Oscar in the 90th minute. But by that time, many in the crowd had left in tears. This was Brazil's biggest defeat since a 6-0 loss to Uruguay in 1920. This wasn't how the script was supposed to go. The hosts going out by such a margin, many compared it to Brazil's famous World Cup defeat in 1950, again to Uruguay. They couldn't even redeem themselves in the third-place match either, losing to the Dutch 3-0. So the final would once again be contested between Germany and Argentina. They'd already met twice before at this stage. First in 1986 when Diego Maradona lifted the trophy in Mexico. Then again, four years later, when this time it was Lothar Matthäus who lifted it for Germany. The final played in the famous Maracanã in Rio, a game that will go to extra time where Mario Goetze scored the winner and for the third time in a row... The World Cup winners came from Europe. And that was it. The story of the 2014 Brazil World Cup. Many thanks for listening and also many thanks to Dean Cornish for joining me and sharing his memories. Next up is Russia 2018, where once again I'll be joined by an England fan who was there, hoping, praying for us to lift the trophy. And he, like Dean, will relive it for us. So stay subscribed and you won't miss it. In the meantime, don't forget the show is on all the major social media channels. Go search it out, give it a like, give it a follow, a review on iTunes. Much appreciated too. So until that time, take care of yourselves. Cheers. Cheers.